You're listening to a podcast by Lance Lambert Ministries. For more information on this ministry, visit lancelambert.org. Good afternoon. Today, we will be listening to the third chapter of Lance Lambert's book, Jacob I Have Loved, read by Matt Jamie. This chapter is entitled Vessels of Mercy Before Prepared. Let's listen. Chapter 3 Vessels of Mercy Afore Prepared The Apostle Paul, by the Spirit of God, declares that the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. Even as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated and that he might make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he also called. This statement is strangely foreign to the contemporary ear. We are so democratic in our whole concept of thought that we have to wrestle with such ideas. In fact, we can only be satisfied if we are able to explain them away. It is difficult for us to understand why God said, Esau I have hated although the idiom in the original Hebrew is not as harsh as it sounds in translation. Nevertheless, we think that it is an unfair and unjust severity. And although we would not express it in words, we consider such an attitude to be wrong. The divine statement, Vessels that he endured with much long suffering, vessels of wrath fitted for destruction, seems so strange to our modern mentality. Nonetheless, it is the Word of God. However, the positive side is glorious. Vessels of mercy are for prepared unto glory. My salvation did not begin with a decision I made. It reaches back into prehistory eternity, that period which the Bible describes as before times eternal. Someone answers, Surely you understand that God in his foreknowledge saw your decision for him and chose you based on your choice. It seems strange that he chose you only because you chose him. Is not the very obvious meaning of choice, or to choose, devalued by such an idea? Consider these words, that God might make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy afore prepared unto glory. Is this preparation explained by God's foreknowledge? In other words, did he prepare everything about our background, our circumstances? our relationships, and our genetic history that would make us vessels of mercy. What you are declaring is that the Lord chose you and loves you because you chose Him. In my estimation, that is an untenable view. God loves you because He loves you. It is a cause of great thankfulness to God if you came to a point where you made a decision or signed a decision card or put your hand up or went forward or knelt at some penitent stool. Whatever you did, thank God he brought you to that point. Nevertheless, there is a prehistory to your decision, and that prehistory is this. Jacob, I have loved. God loves you because he loves you and not because you chose him. Think of those wonderful words in John 15. Ye did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you, that ye should go and bear fruit. What mysterious words! What a universe of meaning beyond the ability of our finite minds to comprehend! 
It is not open to question that we have a serious responsibility to exercise our will, but beyond and above that we discover the mystery of election. Our finite mind will never be able to understand it, but we worship God for it. We have a statement of our Lord Jesus recorded in John 6, which has never been satisfactorily explained by those who emphasise only the free will of man. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall not hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye have seen me, and ye believe not. All that which the Father giveth me shall come unto me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I am come down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Carefully note the conjunction for at the beginning of the sentence, for I am come down from heaven. It links the earlier statements which the Lord Jesus made with that which follows. All that which the Father hath given me. What did the Lord Jesus mean by the phrase, the will of him that sent me? It is clear that it is the will of God that those whom the Father has given to the Son should come to him, and should experience the salvation of God through the Lord Jesus. This becomes even clearer in the sentence that follows. And this is the will of him that sent me, that of all that which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. This is a wonderful declaration. I had no idea until I first began to see this matter that my salvation has a prehistory that it reaches into before times eternal and on to the eternal ages to come. All that which the Father giveth me shall come unto me. Somewhere in that pre-time eternity, the Father said to the Son that you would be one of those he was giving to him, and you came to him. It matters not how you came, it was certainly through the work of the Lord Jesus. The Father has given you to the Son. If the Lord tarries and we die and are buried, at the last day, as the Lord says, he will raise us up with a new body, a redemption body, a resurrection body. What a salvation! The only possible explanation for this is that he has set his love on you. Where does it all begin and where does it all end? It begins with God and it ends with God. Our problem is how we come into it. Some assert that one must be very careful of this kind of doctrine and teaching and I agree. There are people who have taken this truth to such an extent that they will not preach the gospel to the unsaved. They will not even have children's work or a Sunday school or distribute any Christian literature or lift a finger to help in evangelism because they say it is God's sole prerogative to save. It is certainly clear that when our Lord gave the command to the disciples, it was to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We have no right to countermand this. How can the unsaved hear and how can the great purpose of God be fulfilled unless there are those who hear the Lord's command and obey? Opposite ends of the same truth. The word of God clearly states this. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? 
And how shall they preach, except they shall be sent? Even as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that bring glad tidings of good things! So belief cometh of hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. We should note that these words are found in connection with predestination and election. So whilst we have, on the one hand, man's responsibility before God to exercise his own free will, on the other hand, this is balanced perfectly with God's prerogative in election. These two matters are opposite ends of the same truth, and are too much for our finite minds to comprehend or hold together. As far as we are concerned, we have a responsibility to shoulder and fulfil, to reach the lost, to preach the gospel, to be faithful in our witness. Yet we must always remember that only God can save a human being. It is good for us to remember the comment made by the great preacher of the gospel and servant of the Lord, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, that in the pulpit he preached for all to be saved, but on his knees he believed only the elect would respond. The Apostle Paul, a chosen vessel How is it possible to explain the conversion of the Apostle Paul? There he was with a certificate in his pocket, on his way full of fire and zeal to destroy the believers. And suddenly, about midday, somewhere on the Golan Heights on the road to Damascus, the Lord appeared to him and struck him to the ground. This rabbi, Saul of Tarsus, called out, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I do not read of any decision being made, or any card being signed, or any hand being raised. Something happened to the man. How is it to be explained? I cannot explain it, but I do know that which the Lord said to Ananias about Saul. Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. It is often stated that somewhere or other the apostle must have been challenged or had an argument within himself. Paul stated, in fact, that the Lord had questioned him, Why do you kick against the goads? What were those goads? Maybe one of them began when he saw Stephen being stoned, or other goads could have been the brutal way he dealt with believers before his conversion, and the manner in which they had responded. Nevertheless, none of this is recorded in the Word of God. When one reads Paul's testimony, given at various points in Acts and in his letters, he speaks of his conversion as a sovereign act of God. It is certainly true that he must have responded when the Lord said, I am Jesus. He could have refused him out of hand and thus rejected him. Years ago, I knew an old man who was the father of two sons, both of whom became well known in the work of God in Britain. He told me how he was converted. He was a captain in the merchant navy. He was a man who liked to drink and often used to get drunk. By his own confession, he was a bad lad. In such a state, he would go home, wreck things in the home and even treat his wife roughly. One night, he went home in a drunken stupor, forced his way through the front door, fell flat on his face, rolled over on his back and stayed in that posture on the drawing room floor for the whole night. He came round the next morning with a hangover thoroughly converted. The first thing he said to his wife when he got up off the floor was, have we a Bible in this place? She thought he must still be suffering from drink and said to him, 
Are you going to make fun of even the Bible? However, he was not drunk, he was converted. He said to me, I did not even want the Lord. Sometimes at sea, I thought about God and I thought about my sins, but I did not want God. Yet, God took hold of me. His wife then chimed in and said, Do you know how I found the Lord? Two weeks later, I was sweeping the corridor. In those days, they did not have vacuum cleaners. And I stopped for a moment and leant on the broom. I was so amazed at the change that had come over my husband and thought to myself, what on earth has happened to him? And there, leaning on the broom, I was converted. Of course, most of us have had a different experience. Somewhere we have heard the gospel and made a response. I myself was saved through reading the story of C.T. Studd. It was the first Christian book I ever read. I was nearly 13 years of age. The next day, when Alan Redpath issued an appeal in the Sunday evening service, I stood up. It was the second Christian service I had ever been in. If anyone had asked me anything about Christian doctrine or the Bible, I could not have answered. All that I can say is that God saved me. It is wonderful, however, to hear the other side of the coin and to know that even when we have made a decision for the Lord and responded to Him, that is not where the history of our salvation began. It reaches back into eternity, into the heart of God where He set His love upon us. Do not ask me to explain the many complex questions that arise out of this. I only know that this man Jacob, whose name was given to the redeemed people of God forever after, was a vessel of mercy, a fore prepared unto glory. Consider then the strength and determination of the love of God. To be loved by God is at one and the same time both the most glorious thing in the universe and the most fearful thing. So often in our Christian circles, this whole matter of love has become sentimental. We think of God as some dear, old, white-haired gentleman with whom you could get away with anything. It is that idea of love which has robbed us of a genuine understanding of his love. To be loved by God is both the most wonderful thing and the most fearful thing in the universe. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. For example, take the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 11.29. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Their first and primary connection is to the Jewish people, although the statement is generally taken as having connection only to the church or to Christian servants of God or to Christian missions. If, however, one reads the previous verses, it becomes clear that the primary relation is to the Jewish people. As touching the gospel, the Jews are enemies for your sake, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. For the gifts and the calling of God are not repented of or irrevocable. What do I mean that it is both a wonderful thing and a fearful thing to be loved by God? If I take the story of the Jewish people, I see an outstanding illustration of this truth. God has never forsaken the Jewish people throughout the course of time because of his love for them. To this very day, he has persevered because of that steadfast love. He has followed them through all their alienation and divorce from him, through the massacres, persecution and hatred of them, through the cruelty of the Crusaders and of the Inquisition, 
through the pogroms and the Holocaust, to the recreation of the State of Israel and its eight wars. In all the bloodiness of the last 2,000 years of Jewish history, he has been present. He who dearly loves them. He has never let them go and will not let them go until finally he has won them. Stage by stage, little by little, he will shut them up, cornering them until they are utterly alone, without anything or anyone to lean on. Then the alternatives will be stark. They will face either total destruction or the Lord. He will not rest until they fall into his arms. Such is the wonder and the fearfulness of the love of God. To be loved by God, both wonderful and fearful. On the one hand, there is nothing more wonderful than to be loved by God, to experience the tenderness, the mercy and the abounding grace in his love. Every true child of God can testify to his love expressed in the way he leads us and sometimes follows us, the way he endures our rebellion. Indeed, he never leaves us nor forsakes us, even though we make a mess of our lives. To know that our sins have been blotted out as a thick cloud, removed as far as the east is from the west, cancelled by the grace of God, is to experience his love. Only that love and grace of God could have justified us in his sight and declared us to be righteous through the finished work of Christ. On the other hand, it is also the most fearful thing to be loved by God, for once he loves you, he will wait a whole lifetime until finally he has won you fully. Even on a deathbed, he will bring his loved one to a place where they will yield on an issue. I have known a number of such people. They should have yielded on those issues long before, but they would neither yield nor surrender until finally, in the weakness of death, they said, Lord, I surrender. Never for a moment think that your circumstances, the difficult relationships in your life, the impossible situations, the seemingly insoluble problems are haphazard. They are not, for God is behind them. They are divinely arranged. It may not be apparent at the time, but it is his love in action. To be a vessel of mercy afore prepared unto glory is a matter full of awe. God Corners Jacob How did the Lord deal with Jacob? It seems to me that in this man so loved by God, we see the abounding grace of God in such clear colours. Jacob had an incurable natural strength about him, a nature that could not be suppressed. In fact, the more he tried to suppress it, the more irrepressible it proved to be. God knew that and remembered the dust that Jacob was. He knew Jacob's frame. If God had challenged Jacob and sought to break him from the beginning with one pulverising blow sought to transform him, it would have failed. Jacob would neither have listened nor would he have cooperated. Indeed, he would have rebelled with all his strength. Instead, the Lord allowed him to steal both the birthright and the blessing, causing him to flee from the home he loved so much. For twenty years he lived away from his home. He never saw his beloved mother again, with whom he had such a close relationship. It is worth noting that when she had produced the strategy for Jacob to steal the blessing, and Jacob protested, she had said, Let your curse be on me. It did indeed fall on her, 
for the rest of her life she never saw her Jacob again. Nevertheless, behind all of this, mysteriously, stood the God of love. It was the same with the twenty years that Jacob spent with Laban. He had met his match in Laban, because Laban was another Jacob. The two outwitted each other for all of those years until, in the end, desperate, Jacob finally learned the lesson, and the Lord could say to him, Return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. And Jacob obeyed and returned. In all of this, we see how God marvellously arranged these circumstances. Through abject fear of his twin brother, Esau, at that point coming to meet him, he was left alone. Then, and only then, did the mysterious visitor appear. Jacob had been thoroughly prepared for the greatest encounter of his life. He wrestled all night with that one, because deep within Jacob there was a witness that this was his time. It was the love of God. It had taken all those years for the Lord to corner his beloved Jacob, but he won the battle. When the Lord said, What is your name? Jacob said, Jacob. It may not seem to be so apparent, but in actual fact, Jacob was owning up to being Jacob. It shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, said the Lord. It was as if the Lord was saying, Jacob, finally I have you. To me, this is incredibly comforting and encouraging. Maybe what I have written may frighten some, but if you really value the things of God, if you make eternal matters the priority in your life, you will find this message of tremendous encouragement. I know only that one of my greatest fears has been that somewhere along the line I might let go of the Lord. Then I think to myself, there will be no reward, no city no throne, little glory, many tears, only barely saved. It is in that moment that the words from the heart of the Lord come back to me. Jacob I have loved. The solid fact is that he will not let me go. To know that God, having loved me and chosen me, that his purpose according to election might stand, will follow me throughout my life using my circumstances, my situations and my problems to fulfil his work in me, is of tremendous encouragement. We must never forget that the Lord has a goal in view. With that aim in mind, he will use our background, our temperament and even our genetic history. All will be employed by him to change us into the likeness of his Son. The Lord will use the relationships in our families our relationships at work and in business, our relationships in church life and in the work of God. He will not fail. From Jacob to Israel But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. When thou passeth through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, and Holy One of Israel, thy Saviour. How amazing are these words! The Lord declares that he created Jacob and Israel he formed, 
and that in all the work required to transform us from Jacob to Israel, we are not to fear. His redeeming grace and mercy will be the key. Such a work will require us to pass through waters and through rivers, to walk through fire, but he promises to be with us. They shall not overflow thee. Is that not a description of situations or circumstances which seem to threaten our very existence by drowning us? Yet the Lord's redeeming love is there. You will pass through them. Or again, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. You will not be burnt up by the problems or the circumstances, for in the fire you will discover him. In fact, the Lord will use these experiences, sometimes seemingly diabolical in nature, to work his work in you. The Apostle Paul described his experience of this graphically as a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. In a footnote on the Greek word translated thorn, in Coney Bear and Housen's The Life and Epistles of St. Paul, they state, Stake is probably a more accurate translation. It would therefore seem to be more like the agony of impalement than the irritation of a thorn. Certainly, it drove the Apostle to experience the sufficiency of the Lord's redeeming grace so that he could testify that the power of God came to its full development in his weakness. You will discover, as so many have, that God, not the devil, is behind these experiences. God is above them, beyond them, and using them. It is the love of God in action, albeit hidden. You will also discover that when such experiences come to us, it is all progress. You will pass through the waters, the rivers will not drown you. You will walk through the fire, the flames will not kindle upon you. If it were not the love of God, we would have much cause to fear. But it is the God of love. Psychologists tell us that we all suffer from insecurity when we are not loved. If that is true, the Lord's people must be very insecure, lacking in their understanding and their experience of the love of God. Everywhere I travel, I discover so many believers who feel insecure. They feel that there is a cloud in their relationship with God, as if God is angry with them, or that he has forsaken them and failed them. Are you a Jacob? Maybe you think you're an Abraham, or an Isaac, or a Moses, or a Joshua. You may even think that you are an Enoch. If you wish to think that, think it. The Lord has evidently a good deal more work to do in you. There are, however, some people who know that they are Jacobs. It is not that they are ugly, unintelligent or unattractive, but there is a massive strength in their soul life, a strength of self-will, an unbroken ego, and with it a zeal not according to true knowledge. You cannot break this condition yourself, for it is you. Here then comes a word of tremendous comfort. God loves you, and he loves you not because you are perfect, nor even because you are moving towards perfection, but he loves you because he loves you. He has chosen you. You are amongst his elect, born of his spirit and saved by his grace. His intention and determination is to change you from Jacob to Israel. The Jealous Determination of God's Love Hear some of the words of the Lord in the next chapter of Isaiah. 
Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, who I have chosen. Thus saith the Lord that made thee, and formed thee from the womb, who will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant. Remember these things, O Jacob, and Israel, for thou art my servant. I have formed thee, thou art my servant, O Israel. Thou shalt not be forgotten of me. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions. The Lord hath redeemed Jacob and will glorify himself in Israel. It is the jealous determination of God that is the factor in Jacob's life. He seems so far from God in his character, in his attitudes and in his ways. He was a bargainer, not a worshipper. Although the Lord repeatedly calls him Jacob my servant, in truth he was not a servant of God. He was a manipulator of God, if that could be possible. Certainly he was a manipulator of divine things. He saw the Lord as a means of prosperity, as a means of security, and as someone who was always there to lift him out of a mess. It was only when he became Israel that he loved the Lord for the same reason that the Lord loved him. He loved the Lord because he loved him. Only the grace of God could call Jacob, whether personally or corporately, my servant. The Lord fixes his eye on Israel, the one he will produce out of Jacob. It is altogether wonderful. He redeems Jacob, but it is Israel in whom he is glorified. Do you love the Lord because you love him? Or do you only love him because he clears up the messes in your life? Or because he provides you with some joy and exuberance? Or because he creates for you some escapism from harsh realities? Do you love him only because of what you obtain, or do you love him for who he is? Would it not have been an appalling thing if the Lord had said, I will have nothing to do with Jacob until he loves me. I will not touch him whilst he has that bargaining spirit. The Lord, however, recognised all Jacob's weaknesses, and, with a persistent and undying love, loved him from Jacob into Israel. That is what also he will do for you and for me. Such is the strength and determination of God's love. What is the church on earth if it is not a people who are being loved from Jacob into Israel? We are only too aware of the Jacobs in the church. We talk endlessly about the church, its offices, its structure, its pattern and much else. But unless we Jacobs are being transformed into Israels, it is not a living church. It is merely an historical institution, or an antique tradition, or a monument to past glory. Jacob had many miles to travel in his spiritual pilgrimage. There were rivers that could not be avoided. Through them he had to pass if he was to become Israel. There were fires through which he had to walk, trials he had to pass through, and difficulties with which he had to cope. It was, however, the God of love who had chosen him, and, moreover, arranged the whole course of his life. God had arranged it so beautifully that the events which seemed most dark, even satanic, were in truth employed by God to fulfil his purpose in Jacob's life. If you know you are a Jacob, the message of his life will be an enormous strength and comfort to you. For others, Jacob's life may not be so meaningful at present. They will only see his life as an object lesson. 
If, however, such children of God go on with the Lord, it will become a source of much encouragement. Jacob was a vessel of mercy, afore prepared unto glory. So are we. Thank you for listening to our preview of Jacob I Have Loved by Lance Lambert. This audiobook will be released in its entirety shortly. Keep up on social media for the release date. May you know the deep, deep love of Jesus.